and welcome to the second episode of Raven's Top Turnbuckle Podcast. And let's jump into the DeLorean and hit 88 miles per hour and see what year and month we're covering this week. That's right, we're going to be covering August 1994 and the WWF vs the government in the steroid trial. This is going to be a long one, so strap yourself in, this shit's going to get crazy. So, August the 1st, 1994, two charges were dropped on a trial to lack of evidence when one of the government witnesses wasn't there to testify and after Hogan outright denied that Vince gave him steroids on the witness stand. Due to this, the judge dismissed charges. these charges, leaving only the big conspiracy charge to be tried. Bit of luck there, I think, there, Vince. In the end, it was ov- obvious that Dr. Sahorian was distributing steroids and it was obvious that Vince McMahon knew it was happening, but the government was unable to prove that McMahon ever actively arranged for this to happen and that was the crux of the conspiracy charge. In fact, it seems likely that Pat Patterson and Linda McMahon were more involved in the decision regardless of Zahorian that Vince was, but, that's, but they weren't on trial. Yeah, you unlucky bastard. Up until the verdict was read, no one knew what was happening, what would happen. Neither side seemed to have clearly had a victory lockdown and court expert waivers back and forth in predictions whether there be a conviction or an acquittal. Jordan Jordy deliberations to WWF side seemed increasingly nervous as the hours ticked by. Dave had a prediction of an acquittal. Bet you he did. But the longer the jury deliberated, Dave says he found himself staring towards a conviction more likely. Yeah, we all know what happened, Dave. Dave starts recap- recapping testimonies from all the witnesses, starting with Dr. Cesorian. A funny note, most of the packages Cesorian admitted sentence to WWF officials were for steroids, but he says no one, no one of them contained a hair growth serum for Gene Oakland. Zazorian testified that he sent needles with the packages because he learnt many of the wrestlers have been sharing needles. Stupid bastards. Right, first up in the witness box was Rick Rude, was next and seen distressed and clearly didn't want to be there. I wouldn't want to be there either, Rick. He obviously didn't want to testify against the WF since he's now out of a job with WCW and didn't want to burn WWF bridges. In fact, that said... Most everyone in the industry hoped Vince would be acquitted because if WWF was damaged or gone, it would be destroyed their bargaining power with WCW. Rue testified that he had used steroids throughout his career but got, but got off them in 1988 because he and his wife were trying to have a baby. He said McMahon told him he didn't look good and implied he should get back on the gas but couldn't recall if Vince outright told him to, to do this. Probably did. Next up seems to be a star witness for the feds. But let's go a little bit of backstory for this idiot called Nails. This comes from 
Bret Hart's book and a little bit of Meltzer. So, Nails was released from the WWF contract in December 99 after he allegedly attacked Vince McMahon in his office over a financial dispute. I'm sure it was his SummerSlam payoff. While John Nord, the berserker, watched the door, Bret Hart recalls in his autobiography that Nails cornered Vince in his office and screamed at him for 15 minutes. Hart claims he was just down down a hall from the office when he heard a loud crash which was nails knocking Vince off over in his chair choking him violently the incident led to a series of lawsuits between nails and the WWF nails alleged McMahon had just given him steroids on several occasions McMahon denied the claims nails then filed a wrongful dismissal lawsuit claiming McMahon sexually assaulted him the WWF filed a counterclaim against nails but both suits were later dropped. In 1994, Niles testified against McMahon during his trial, which I'm going to be reading soon, on charges of serious steroids in WWF. He claimed McMahon had told him to take steroids. Yeah, right. But before I read Niles' transcript at the court, just have a look at these two videos of this complete idiot. Who's the boss now? Boss man, that was the first beating in a long line of beatings. You're in my prison now, but I have thrown away the key, and there's nothing you can do about it, and no one, no one can stop me now. Nails was wooden as hell, couldn't really cut a promo. But they done his best, Vince throw some synthesizer over his voice to make him sound harder. Listen to the next one, with no production on it. Let me tell you something, it doesn't matter where I go, but now I'm stepping foot in the New England Wrestling Federation, and I'm after demolition. He carries the belt, and I want it. There's not too many things in life I want, but I want that stinking belt. And when I want something, I get it. I want to tell you people one thing. You people made me the way I am. It's because of you people I have social behavior problems. It's because of you people I had to sit in a six by nine cell for seven and a half years. It's because of people like you, big boss man. When I got my hands on you last time, I broke your stinking legs and I punched in your stupid stinking heart. This time, I'm gonna rip out your throat and anybody else that comes down my way. So as you can tell, got a voice of a 13 year old boy. Right, on to the trial. Most controversial witness of the trial was Nails. Testified that he was with Rick Rude when the conversation with Man took place. That McMahon specifically told Rude, I suggest you get back on the gas to get bigger. Nails also testified that he had to, he had a meeting with Vince in January of 92. Discussing that Nails gimmick and claims that McMahon asked if he was on the... On the steroids, when Nails said no, McMahon allegedly said, well, you should be. Nails' response that was, he was already £300 and wouldn't use steroids to get a job. And McMahon allegedly said, sometimes life isn't fair. And told him if he wanted a job, the ball was in his court. Dave, note, Dave notes that this was at the peak of the steroids scandal and test, and tested that began. And Dave finds it extremely hard to believe that Vince would have directly told anyone to use steroids at that time. So do I. 
On cross-examination, WWF lawyer Jerry McDivitt mentioned that Nails was clearly suing McMahon and says Nails wasn't even employed by the WWF when the conversation with Rude happened in 88. He also pointed out that the Nails outfit, the orange jumpsuit, covered his entire body and didn't show any of his physique. So why would they want him on, on steroids? Nails was then asked if he hated Vince McMahon and guess what he said. Can anyone guess? Let me flip my notes over, I'll be right with you. I know, how professional am I? Respond, yeah. In later years it's been widely regarded as the testimony that sunk the government's case and turned the jury in favour of McMahon. I, I goddamn agree. Next up we've got Pat Patterson was next. He noted being employed by the company since 1979. As a, as the current vice president, he earns £3,500 a week. Dave says Patterson was carved up like a Thanksgiving turkey on the witness band by, by, the, by the prosecution who made him look foolish as he was nervous, bumbling all over himself, trying to give pos- positive testimony for Vince and conducted himself repeatedly, especially when... Confronted by the the smoking gun memo that Patterson received from the McMahon, telling him to distract the WWF from Doctor Zazorian, Dave rehearsed a lot of the questions he was asked and the answers. He he gives his clear that Patterson was lying his ass off on the stand. This is worth reading in full of you subscribe. That's figure four weekly on cross examination. Jerry McDivitt recap Patterson's entire career and basically tried to paint him as a dumb old man who only knew, knows wrestling and barely spoke fluent English and wasn't smart enough to be involved in such a complex scandal. <laughs> That's kind of funny, that. On the funny side, Patterson testified, was asked to compare Randy Savage to Nails and respond was, some have talent, some don't. He also claimed that Hulk and Hogan had never wrestled each other before WrestleMania 3. <laughs> Not even close. And he said that at any time he is at a meeting with Vince McMahon in the office, the door is always closed because Vince doesn't want, doesn't like to hear any noise at all. Whatever that means. Next up was the WWF office worker who dealt with areas regarding athletic commissions, etc. in every city. She testified that she tried to get Dr. Zazori removed as the assistant doctor from the shows because she had heard the rumours of him dealing drugs and tried to assert other doctors to the show. Zazori was upset about it and went over her head and complained to Patterson who told her the boys liked Dr. Zazori and to keep him on. The employee went to Linda McMahon to complain about it and Linda told her to do what Patterson said. The employee testified that she complained to Gorilla Monsoon that she was being pressured to keep Dr. Zazorian at the shows and Monsoon agreed with her and said Dr. Zazorian was a sleaze, was sleazy but his hands were tied. Later, after Lyndon Patterson got wind of the investigation, Patterson told her to make sure Zazorian didn't come to the shows anymore and said she replied, you wanted them there, you get rid of them. On cross-examination, Dick Diver tried to bully her and paint her as a bitch. <laughs> who didn't get along with anybody and accused her of concluding with the prosecution for the trial. Damn. 
is a good one for you. Affa, the manager of the Hedrinkle, was called to the judges' bench and scold because apparently Affa was in the courtroom marvelling the words not guilty at the jury and attempt to intimidate them. <laughs> Holy shit. Up next, we've got Mr. Steroid himself, the ultimate warrior, testified and was well-spoken and came off as honest but forgetful. He testified that in 1989, Vince asked him if he could get HGH, but that Vince had never told him to take steroids and that it was his personal choice to do so. He said in 91, he accidentally left steroids in a hotel room and when Vince found out, he hit the fucking roof because it was around the time that Zahorian trial was happening and Vince told him he had to be careful because things were heating up after testifying. Wally was surrounded by media outside while talking about how it was his choice to use steroids. Wally went up to an attractive female reporter with an with a comment. If you were on a job interview and the boss told you to take all your clothes off right there and then and have wild sex, it's, it's your decision. You could say no. Um, I don't actually understand that one by the Wally, but yeah, okay. So, the CFO of the WWF, interestingly, of note that Titan Sports, WWF, is a dwelling corporation because they have more favourable tax laws than Connect, Connecticut, and Vince is 100% owner. He testified that Vince had come to him to get cash for an undisclosed transaction, and the CFO explained to him how we could get bank checks without his or WWF's name on them. He testified that Vince wanted the money to buy steroids for himself and Hogan. Okay. Emily Feinberg, Vince's personal secretary, and the prosecution's star witness was next, and her testimony is what the entire basis of the case is based on. Dave note that she is a former Playboy playmate and, and dressed down in order to play down her attractiveness because, of course, Vince would have a playmate as his secretary. Bailey would. And therefore, anyone asked June 1988 play month for the month name under the name of Emily Arth, Google it as what you're looking for. Jordan, some of the testimony was hinted that her relationship with McMahon was more than just professional, but no one ever outright said it, and she was never in a position to have to confirm or deny it. But in case you're wondering why is she such intim- intimidating knowledge about McMahon, there you go, she testified that she was in charge of ordering drug testing policies that checked for cocaine. She said the tests would come and go positive for other drugs like opiates and barbiturates, but Vince only cared about cocaine possession. And he said the wrestlers need the other drugs for pain, for sleep, and control their roid rage. Feinberg testified continued, and she testified that Hogan was the number one star of the company and got star treatment, and that they would get into trouble if they contacted him without going through Vince first. She testified that Vince and Patterson talked openly about steroids in the office. She said Vince would have steroids shipped to him, keep about half for himself, and have have her send the rest to Hogan. At some point in the testimony, she said that Vince McMahon contracted hepatitis in early 1990 and got off steroids at that point. McMahon told her that Hogan had taught him how to take steroids 
when they were on set filming No Holds Barred. In January 1991, she said McMahon ordered her to get rid of any records she had linked the company to Sazorian and that Vince even gave her leftover steroids he had and told her to take them home and keep them at her house until everything blew over. Vince was apparently worried about getting raided by the DEA. She eventually got rid of all of but one vial which she turned over to the prosecutors. What a bitch. On cross-examination, McDivitt went after Weinberg Harden and accused her of being coached by the prosecution on what to say in her testimony and noted that she had been given immunity for testifying. They tried to portray her as an actress who was playing the role and started attacking her personal character, even commenting on her dressing down for court, saying that's not the way you dress it at work. Feinberg responded that, yeah, that yes, actually she did and had worn the exact outfit she was wearing now to work several times. Then they accused Feinberg of planning to write a book and said when she left the she'll try to demand a large seven settlements from them, basically implying that she's lying because WWE fired her in 91 during their testimony. Vince was shaking shaking with his head down while Linda appeared to be fighting back tears. From reading all this, it sounds like someone was finding out right there along with everyone else that her husband had been banging a playmate behind the back. Jesus, what a dirty dog. And now we get to Golden Bollocks. Hulk Hogan's testimony and the media circus that come with it. Hogan appeared scared out of his wits when he first took the stand and was holding back tears at one point but got more comfortable as it went on. He admitted he started using steroids in 1976 and that 75% of the locker room was on the gas. Using them in the mid-80s, he said when his wife got pregnant with their son Nick, it happened when Hogan was still on steroids and when she found out he was still on the juice, it was one of the biggest arguments he and his wife ever had. Hogan testified that Vince had never told him to use steroids, but was his personal choice. He said that at one point Dr. Cesarian gave him an entire prescription pad with every page written in it with prescription for steroids. Even the judge seemed out of gas at this one. So would I. Jesus. So, more paperwork. Hogan said he felt singled out in 91 when the steroid story broke and he was the big name that everyone talked about. He said since then, steroids got brought up in almost every interview he does. He admits to lying in interviews, including the Astoria Hall show, and said that McMahon had told him before that he didn't think it was a good idea for Hogan to do the show, but he did it anyway. And He said... He returned to the WWF in 1993 for money and for the exposure to boost his acting career. Yeah. Dave says that the media coverage for this part of trial was insane and unfair to Hogan as they treated him as if he was the one on trial and all the stories that came out after were exactly negative of him. Yeah, but he did lie. This was started the ball rolling with the FBI. So Big John Studd testified next. Studd is currently suffering from Hodgkinson's disease and and is due for Kino is not supposed to travel. The plan was for him to testify by phone, but this made McMahon and his lawyers furious because they seemingly didn't believe it was true. McMahon himself, who'd be 
required the entire trial, spoke up and wanted to know the doctor's name, who said Stubb couldn't travel and wanted the doctor called to verify it. But the jury out of the room, they argued that, that they didn't want the jury to know that Stud had cancer because it might make the jury think his cancer was a result of steroid use and would make the jury pre- prejudice against McMahon. So the jury was never told Stud had a cancer and he ended up testifying by phone, but nothing much of note was said. Lucky for you, Vince. Right. The final witness was a doctor on steroids. He was an expert and was brought up to talk about the negative effects of steroids. Jeremy David was vicious with the doctor and they clearly seemed to hate each other. And Dave said this back and forth seemed to have no bearing on the trial. It basically amounted to McDivitt trying to argue with the expert that steroids ain't bad as everyone has been led to believe in the doctor furiously disagreed Jeremy seemed like he might be the lawyer you'd want on your side if you need one but good lord does he ever come across as a sarcastic fucking arsehole every time I read about him <laughs> at, the, at this point the judge threw out the two threw out two charges and, up, and upheld the conspiracy charge and the lawyer went into their closing statements the prosecution called the WWF a a dark corporate business that used drugs to pump up their profits while hiding behind quack doctors. They said the evidence shows that Vincent Linda McMahon and Pat Patterson all knew what was happening. Considering to fail in acting against it, it knew it was illegal and tried to cover it up when the heat got too hot. The lawyers were apparently so vicious towards the WF side of Vince that... that Linda McMahon was in tears. The WWF lawyers said they had no case and that they used Hogan's celebrity in the media to trump up a case without evidence in support in the court. They said that uh, they said that there is a steroid problem in sports and the government's looking for a scapegoat and is trying to pin it on wrestling because nobody respects wrestling. Most people won't even admit they watch it. Then they trashed the government witness saying Cesarian is a f- is a f- a flounder who will say anything to get a better better conditions in prison and most of the wrestlers who testified all have access to ground against the WWF and that they all used to before working there including this nugget on Tom Zink is the type of individual that would take steroids out of a garbage can and use them she talked about how Zink and Rude admitted under oath that they had Recently used steroids but weren't allowed to walk out of three man while Vince is being tried. She noted that several of the wrestlers have sued WWF and that Nails has even attacked Vince McMahon and can't be seen as a credible witness. They pointed out that the Emily Feinberg testimony implied that she's just an actress who was performing for the jury and is out for fame. So here we go, verdict time. So when the not guilty verdict was read, the courtroom exploded like they were popping for the top baby face wrestler. In a press conference afterwards, Vince McMahon stated, I didn't have a great deal of faith in the judicial system, but I had an overwhelming faith in humanity. I left my fate in the hands of the jury and they responded nicely through all of the insults the government threw at me. 
Later that night, McMahon did an exclusive interview with Channel 5 News in New York and said, It's been an unbelievable ordeal, which I wouldn't wish on anyone. It's been a two and a half years that no American should endure. It was endured by us and the jury of my peers found us not guilty. I was singled out unfairly, had nothing riding on the case. I'd be less than candid to say I wasn't nervous. I, w- I was definitely nervous. And when asked about Holden's testimony, Vince responded, I don't feel bad when someone tells the truth. However, he feels bad when someone you work with takes the stand and does not tell the, the whole truth and all of the truth. That hurt me very badly. McMahon also hinted that he might file a counter-lawsuit against the government. Don't be stupid, Vince. The word on the grapevine is that the WWF Spent three million in legal fees on the case, which was pretty hefty since the company's most profitable year ever before taxes was only six mil. The prosecution expressed disappointment, but said they expected the jury's verdict or respected the jury's verdict. Day's final thoughts on it: obviously, is the WWF man are guilty of all sorts of things in relation to steroids, but the conspiracy charge was very specifically worded and the prosecution failed to prove that Vince was guilty on that exact charge in the way that they had they had to this the acquittal everyone is speculating on what the fallout of the verdict will be and Dave says we'll just have to wait and see and finally the sterile child coverage is over but wait we still have, we still got other tons of wrestlings to do so just a couple of more to do with the WWF it's a long one, right? Three of the notes from the WWF. WWF is airing skits with Leslie Nielsen from the Naked Gunfabe. He's playing a detective trying to get to the bottom of the fake Undertaker story. These are these are funny skits. Check them out. They're on the network. And apparently, the WWF made a try for Conan. From AAA after the success of the New York and Chicago AAA show. But Kona isn't going to jump and plans to stay where he is. And the latest issue of the WWF magazine did an article that was a major burial of Hogan. Talking about him being old and noted that he jumped ship to another promotion. Where most of the talent is past their prime anyway. Sour grapes maybe. And with that, let's go to a commercial break. Ladies and gentlemen, let's rock Hi, Rick. Hey, Brian. How the wife and kids? How's your mom? Good. She says hi. Good. And the winner of tonight's match scene, Ice Cold Bud Light. Bud Light! For the great taste that will fill you up and never let you down, make it a Bud Light. Right, we're back and it's WCW time and it's Bash of the Beach took place and Dave said it was a huge success and drew an estimated 1.02 bar rate, which is exactly what WCW was hoping for and makes it the biggest WCW buy rating since 1981, and more than doubled the last pay-per-view, and the live crowd was the biggest since Funkin' Flair in 89. Between the live gate and the 
pay-per-view profits. Hulk Hogan alone expected to pull in $680,000, which is not bad for one night's work. It, it outdrew King of the Ring by more than 30%, which is the first time a WCW pay-per-view was ever outdrew a WWF pay-per-view in the same time period. As for the show itself, they started an angle between Antonio Inoki and Stephen Regal. The Clash of the Champions, Steamboat versus Austin stole the show, goes without saying, but the crowd didn't seem too into it, and Hogan won the WCW title from Flair. It's an overbooked but otherwise typical Hogan match. The next Hogan match should be a Clash of the Titan Champions next week, I should say, in a rematch with Flair, followed then by another rematch at Halloween Havoc inside a cage. And likely with Mr. T as the referee. Um, Muhammad Ali making an appearance in Hogan's Corner. There's been talked talked about adding a stipulation that Flair will retire if he loses at Havoc. And some of Flair's friends say he has legitimately been considering retirement. <laughs> it's right. So expect Golden Bollocks and Jimmy Hart to start having more of an influence in WCW to this, due to the success of the pay-per-view. This is code for example, Hogan to start getting his friends hired. Jim Duggan debuted at the last taping. Bruce's Beefcake and Brian Blair appeared with Hogan at the pay-per-view in the post-match celebrations. And Jimmy Hart is reportedly trying to get, oh God, the honky-tonk man hired. Oh... Jesse Ventura's been complaining to anyone who are listening about being replaced on WCW Saturday Night Show by Bobby Heenan and not being told ahead of time what role he has at the pay-per-view. Speaking of Ventura, he's apparently decided not to run for US Senator. Till a later date, maybe. And last for this week's WCW, we've got Michael Buffer sucks as a wrestling announcer. And Dave says everyone in WCW realises it, but they're committed to using him for, for more shows when they're over. With those, don't expect to see him around anymore. Pretty sure he still ends up announcing WCW shows well into the NWO era. Yeah? Who's a good announcer? Don't know what Dave's thinking about. Dipshit. Next up is the Mexican promotions. Forgive me if I butcher any of these names. Triple A finally held their long awaited Chicago New York show and once again shocked the wrestling world by drawing a surprising crowds. Chicago show drew 5,200, New York drew 33, which kills the theory that promotions can't draw outside of South California districts and the limited television exposure because of the high cost of putting the shows on. They weren't quite profitable financially, but everyone is satisfied with the turnout. And if that can get any better TV exposure. Perhaps the syndication could run bigger shows and maybe even a pay-per-view. I'm sure they did. It would be a gold mine. Now they're talking about perhaps running a show in Denver later this year. WCW's official wear at the New York show. And AAA president Antonio Pena has visited WCW recently, so they may start a working relationship. I think they do, through Conan. And in AAA, there was an, an office robbery. AAA President Antonio Pena received a phone call threatening his life and warned him not to go to the office that day. He went anyway and five gunmen showed up and were pistol with an employee and stole 15 grand 
in cash jewelry from one of the employees and destroyed some office equipment. Police have no suspects. Okay. Next up, we've got ECW, which at the moment in this time period still called Eastern Championship Wrestling. Dave described the recent match at the ECW arena after a bloodbath with Funk Brothers versus Public Emily, which ended with approximately 80 chairs in the ring. Terry Funk wrapped up in a barbed wire with a garbage can stuck to his chest and a brawl which went out of the building into the parking lot while dozens of the elderly were arriving at the building for their weekly Saturday, Saturday midnight bingo. The ECW arena doubles as a bingo hall. <laughs> the fans gave both wrestlers and the show a standing ovation and chanted ECW. Dave then goes on to basically praise ECW as the most innovative wrestling in the country. Says the converted bingo hall is even smaller and trashy than it looks on TV. And says that the company is so over with the fans that even the ref... Reference chance the shows are headlining every night by the best performers in the country today. And Dave says that he's not talking about Brett or Ric Flair. He's talking about Sabu. Jordan Kiss match, he did crazy moves that blew away ev- everything the two major companies have done on pay-per-view. In, a, in midway through the show, the power went out and the building is still didn't dampened the show. Teddy Funk asked the crowd for a chair and within seconds it was raining chairs from the crowd which Dave saw as a bit too dangerous and if someone in the crowd had gotten it it could cause endless problems for ECW. This happened more than once because this is the famous incident that's probably this this isn't the famous incident that you're probably thinking of. And remember this this is still Eastern Championship Wrestling Days. We haven't even got extreme yet. Eastern Championship Wrestling is star is expected to start at MSG Cable in September, which would lead them to expand into the New York market. And I think it did happen. Right, we're gonna shoot over to Japan now for two articles of news that are found worthwhile. Teddy Pam Bam Gordy made a surprise return to World Japan for the Bruiser Brody Memorial Show in a tag match. And lastly in Japan, we've got Atoni Inoki is planning to meet up with George Foreman while he's in America. But this didn't happen, he didn't even meet. He didn't, but he did meet with Muhammad Ali while he was there, good on him. A little bit of miscellaneous news from the USWA. Sid Vicious won the USWA Unified title from Jerry Lauder this week. Dave says that from what he's been told, everyone in the promotion is thrilled with Sid's attitude so far. And that clarifies that he's really not being sarcastic apparently Sid is being easy to work with so far apparently Chris Candino and Timothy Wells of of the tag team well done have been seen back have had some backstage issues but with well done now being gone from Smoky Mountain Wrestling that's no longer an issue Dave doesn't clarify and lastly for this more for this week Sandy Barr has closed his 
Championship Wrestling USA promotion reportedly due to the money loss suffered by the show with Tory Harding that ended up being an expensive flop. Speaking of Harding, the reason she did did so little at the show is because the State Athletic Commission stuck to their rules since Harding wasn't a licensed wrestler manager they wouldn't let her anywhere near the ring. Doesn't the, doesn't the State Athletics Commission know that wrestling's fake? Don't understand. And after that long week of reviews, let's go to a commercial break. Hello, Tony. I think we might use a video replay here. Super, Ralph. Let's do that. could be in for a quintessential tango to sensation here. Why, yes, Tony! Yes, Ralph, the big orange fella run in from the left and he gives him a good old slapping. It just illustrates the bite and buzz. Oh, a real oranges. Yes, Ralph, lovely. You know when you've been tangoed. Well, that was a whopper of a week, right? We're back... We're back and it's August the 8th, 1994. We're going to start off with WCW this week. And let's go. The plan for WCW Wrestling to become a daily Disney World attraction was nixed by the higher-ups at Turner. So that won't be happening and the headquarters will remain in Atlanta. A recent marketing survey showed that 84.8% of Americans recognise Hulk Hogan by face. Making him the twelfth most recognised athlete in America, Michael Jackson, Muhammad Ali, and Michael Jordan were top three. Other others ahead of Hogan, including Mike Tyson, Arnold Palmer, and others. Dave also offhandedly mentioned that Hogan here that Hogan is opening a Hogan's Pasta Mania restaurant in the Hall of America in Mississippi, in Metropolis later this year. Oh. Hulk Hogan appeared on a German talk show this week with the WCW belt that showed a clip of him beating Flair to win it. Unfortunately, WCW pay-per-views aired three weeks delay in Germany, but they claim it's aired live, so this ended up spoiling the match for everyone who might have been watching, and WCW is red-faced and embarrassed now because they just spoiled a match that supposedly is going to air live in the future. The host asked Hogan about Bret Hart's comments, and Hogan only said that Brett was a great wrestler and wa- and welcomed him to come to WCW and challenge him for the title. Phil Mustick published another article in the New York Post rip- ripping on Ted Turner and WCW for signing Hulk Hogan, saying his entire legacy is built on steroids and blah, 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 should be ashamed. Yada, yada, yada. Same old bullshit with Mustick. Things WCW contract expires at the end of the year. He is one of the best lucrative contracts in the business, making around seven hundred thousand per year. If WCW offer him the same kind of deal, he'll probably not go anywhere. He lives in Atlanta. He has family business deals there. He's got more days off, and most WC, WC most WCW shows are within a couple of hundred miles of his home. In in the Fed, he'd be on the road constantly and far away from home most of the time. There's no way that he's going to offer him that same kind of money he's making in WCW now. He would get he would get more exposure in the WWF, but for a man with a family making less money and traveling 
many more might not be worth the trade-off now. Of course, if the WCW decides to lowball him on the next contract, then he could change. That could change things. Honky Tonk Man is heading to WCW, and Hogan is pushing to bring in the Bushwhackers as well. No word yet on Bruce's beefcake, but surely it's just a matter of time. And last for this week on WCW, Harlem Heat is talking about bringing in a new manager. They think it's going to be Sherry Martel. So do I. Next up, we've got a bit of Japanese news. Quick note from other promotions that have been overshadowed by the steroid trial. Steroid trial. New Japan's fourth annual G1 Climax tournament started this week. And Dave says you can expect Masa Chono or Reki Chono to win it. Dave without fail gives five stars to Jusen Liger versus the Great Saki match from New Japan. The only match that I can find videos of is there's two what they what they both had in the Super J Cup tournament. That was a good that was a good match that with Sankei won with a Hurricane Runner. That match happened on April of ninety four. The match Dave mentioned he was in July. And Dave says Liger won with a fisherman buster, but I can't find seem to find a match that Liger won. Google search only gives me the gives me the same match that Saki won. And and a Tony Anokis and search to is scheduled to meet George Foreman next month in Los Angeles, either for a photo shoot or possibly negotiating a match that Anoki has been watching for years. Speaking of Anoki, he's still expected to face Hulk Hogan in his retirement match on January 4th show. We go back over to the stateside and we'll go to America and big shout out to the Lizard King. UWF is trying to revive their working engagement with AAA because crowds have fallen to almost nothing now. The AAA stars ain't appearing on the shows anymore, but the AAA guys are drawing bigger crowds in these same cities on their own, so they don't want any part of the UWA deal anymore. Vampira will be working a few AAA shows in the United States, but not in Mexico, and that the plan is to stay with E. E-M-double-L, but Dave says regardless of what he claims, negotiations for him to jump ship to AAA full-time is still ongoing. Attendance for shows in Mexico have dropped substantially to the point that the media is calling it a lucha libre crisis and compare it to how the WF gobbled up the territories in the 80s and as a result all the smaller promotions went out of business. Major AAA shows seem to be the only ones that are still able to sell out arenas oh and a lot of people suspect that the recent robbery of the triple a officers triple a officers was a rival promotion in other words someone associated with EMWL or uwa and that triple a president antonio pena may have a hit out on him damn mexicans right we're heading up north now to ec ecw joey styles has returned to now announce for ECW, Teddy Funk and Cactus Jack both had a ton of heat in WCW for promos they've been cutting in ECW. Teddy Funk, who wrestles in WCW but isn't under contract, cut a promo saying that ECW was a better than WCW. Cactus, who was still under contract to WCW for 
for now, but is on loan to ECW for a few shows. Got a promo where he spat on the ECW tag team belts and threw it on the ground. Dave says, no to WCW, it's a work. ECW fans hate WCW and the WWE, so these guys have to do things like this to get over and say Cactus Jack promos are the best on any wrestling show in recent weeks. I'd agree with that one. Right, we're heading back up north to the Federation. With the trial wrapped up, WWF now has to decide the future direction of the company. Do they go back to pushing steroid monsters now that the legal threat has gone? Or stick with normal size quality performers like Brett and Owen Hart to carry the company? Dave thinks they'll probably stick with the smaller guys for now. But who knows what the future holds? I know, yeah. As the as for the trial itself, not so lot of people say they think Vince bought his way out of the conviction. But Dave disagrees. He was dead and says, quite simply, the prosecution was unable to prove conspiracy beyond reasonable doubt. They aired a lot of WWF Daisy laundry, but they were never able to pin the specific charge on them in a way that the jury would buy. In short, Vince didn't buy his way out of it. The prosecution simply bundled the case in court because they managed to prove WWF was guilty of pretty much everything other than the one thing they needed them to prove. Tammy Stitch, Sonny, has been appearing regularly on the WWF radio show. The WWF had to cancel a house show in Johnstown, PA, last week because the ring was accidentally sent to the wrong city, which sounds like something that would happen in WCW. I agree. Bob Backlund's heel turn on TV is underway and surprisingly pretty good. With him snapping and looking, looking at his hands like he's possessed, there's rumours that Papa Shango will be back, will be brought back, and they will say that he cast a spell on Backlund to make him act like, act this way. Thank God that part didn't happen. I agree with that also. Last up on the Fed, Chris Benoit has been rumoured. The plans was to bring him in as a tag team partner with with Conan. But when Conan turned down the offer to return to the company that put Benoit in limbo. And so for now, still nada. And lastly, for this week in the newsletters, it's a bit of miscellaneous. And here we go. Smoky Mountain Wrestling will be holding a Legends event similar to WCW Slambury. And bring back several big names from the past who made their names in the southeast, And is expected to draw its biggest crowd ever. Anna. Jim Crockett Jr. held the first show of his new promotion this week, featuring mostly sudden stars like the Rock and Roll Express, Greg Valentine, Michael P.S. Hayes, etc., and a bunch of really green, no-name young stars. The shows were said to be good, but nothing really of note happened. They taped over 20 matches and planned to shop them around to get a TV deal and start running local shows. The crowd was a little over a thousand, but most of them were free tickets. In the USWA, attendance is up significantly since Sid Vicious came in and won the unified title. Good on you, good on you, Vicious. Last one now for this week in the Wrestling Observer. We've got the Smoky Mountain Wrestling. There was plans for Tammy Snitch Stitch to be the manager of the Gangsters Cornet's idea being that a white woman with black men would get a heel heat, but Tammy refused to do it. I guess she said she'd like to see her 22nd birthday. So do I.
And with that, it's time for a commercial break. And we're back. We're going to start off with August the 14th, 1994, The Observers. We're going to start off with the WWF, and here we go. It's Alondra Blaze was legit injured in a TV match against Bull, Bull Nakano last week and missed the recent house shows. Jim Ross was quietly rehired by the WWF during the steroid trial, trial to fill in for Vince, but he's mostly been off TV since. He's still under contract and his deal his deal expected to be renewed next month. He'll be back on TV soon, but will only be hosting the syndicated shows like WWF Challenge. Johnny Polo is still working for the WWF, but is no longer being used as an on-screen talent. The Bob Backlund heel turn was apparently his idea and in talk is taking it seriously to the point where he won't sign autographs or take pictures with fans and cave kayfabing everyone as a heel. <laughs> it was a fun time when Bob was nuts. The latest episode of Monday Night Raw did a 3.4 rating which is the highest rating in the show's history and for the first time ever it ranked as the highest rated show of any kind on cable TV for that week. They think it's interesting to see how Raw ratings continue to be excellent which proves that their interest in the production but yet syndicated TV ratings are down. How show business is recorded lows and King of the Ring did the lowest buy rating in history. He seems puzzled as to why there's so much interest in the production, but apparently not enough to get people to actually spend money on it. Also, Dave has a correction on the story. He'd been reporting all the rumours about Chris Benoit coming to WWF turned out that they'd been, he, they didn't even contact him, so that's not happening. Jacques Rougeau held a press conference in Montreal to announce the upcoming retirement match against Pierre at the WWX next show date in October. Vince McMahon, Jack Tunney, Killer Kowalski and Mara all scheduled to attend and the show is expected to draw in excess of 15,000 to the arena. The Rougeau family is, a, is legendary here so Jacques' retirement match is a huge deal in the arena. Sad to, sad to see him go. Really good character, the Mountie. Steve Lombardi, a.k.a. the Brooklyn Brawler, is wrestling under a new name. Abe Knuckleball Swartz on the house shows lately. The, the character's gimmick is that he's a baseball player who needs work to the MLB's baseball strike that's expected to happen. I only ever seen it in the, in the WWF magazine, never actually seen, seen him wrestle, but I have seen Steve Lombardi wrestle hundreds of times. Former 70s and 80s WWF wrestler Steve Muslim writes in about the steroid channel and talks about how he how it brought back memories. He shares the stories how we got a drug called Peliskalum from Dr. Zazorian and while under the influence of it, it passed out at the wheel and wrecked his car ending in his wrestling career in 1984. He suffered a serious spinal injury and now walks with two canes. 
Someone else died in the accident and Muslim served nine months for f- f- vehicle homicide. A year later, his former tag team partner, WWF wrestler Rick McGraw, overdosed on the same drug. Muslim wrestler un- under Vince McMahon Senior says he was a great guy, but his son is is a scumbag in my book. Drugs? Just don't take drugs. Right, we're off to Japan now. Maso Chono won his third G1 Climax tournament, is now calling himself Mr. August. The tournament sold out five straight days in a row. The Sumo Hall in Tokyo, packing in 11,500 each night. The biggest story of the tournament was the surprise return of Grand Hamada to the New Japan Pro Wrestling after leaving 12 years ago and expected he would stick around and work against Jushin Lager. A quick one from ECW. ECW television will be debuting on the Sunset Network in Florida in the next couple of months. There's also negotiations with other cable sports channels in, in parts of the country. Good news for our Paul Heyman there. Off to Mexico now. AAA ran another show in Los Angeles this week and after so many successes this show was a disappointment. It drew 8,000 fans and was still profitable but it was by far the lowest turnout for a, for a show in Los Angeles that, that the promotion has had. EMLL star Vampiro worked the show with Primo in a tag match against Conan and Jake Roberts in a match where Enemies are forced to team together, but since the fans in Los Angeles don't have access to all the newspapers and the magazines that they have in Mexico, most fans weren't aware of the speculation and thought they had missed an angle. Where Conan turned here or something, they were confused as to why he was teaming with Jake Roberts. Anyway, Conan and Vampiro have legit heat, but this match shows they are still willing to be professional and work together to make money which will be important if Vampiro ends up jumping ship to AAA full-time. And finally, Rey Mysterio Jr. stole a show, and Dave calls him the best flying wrestler in the world. He also gives the Ronda Shy a magnificent mini, versus Luna Gonzalez and Martha Villalobos match. Negative 4.5 stars. That's nearly perfectly awful. <laughs> it certainly is. I'm assuming I butchered most of those Mexican names. I do apologise. And now we're off to WCW. The latest WCW at Disney taping was several debuts. Big Top Bully debuted as a heel fan in the crowd. Honky Tonk Man debuted. And the Bruiser Brothers were brought in and they taped several squash matches before being squashed in a tag match by Hogan and Sting. Bruce's Beefcake also debuted but didn't wrestle. WCW is attempting to get Bob Seger to sing the national anthem for the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view in Detroit. E-Network did a feature on WCW featuring several wrestlers. Dave says that Steve Austin in particular was great on the show. And I can't find it. Not at all. Rick Flair is facing Hulk Hogan at the Clash of the Champions in two, in two weeks. And where this Hogan has pretty much outright refused to do a job on the show. What a dot. What a shock. Fucking hate Hogan. 
Ric Flair has been teasing a big surprise for the Clash and even said it would be an ultimate surprise, which naturally has people talking. They says normally he wouldn't even consider that's a possibility, but that Hogan is basically running things. It wouldn't surprise him because he thinks Hogan wants to get his win back from the Warrior. And since they're both both blackballed from the WWF at the moment, this might be the chance to do it. On WCW TV, Bobby Heenan took a shot at the WWF ring announcer, Howard Finkel making a bald headed wannabe announcer comment, which is Heenan's upset that Finkel didn't attend Joey Morella's funeral. Ric Flair has told his friends that he's not planning to retire yet, but, but when it does eventually retire, he will be a real retirement and he won't keep coming back. Oh, Rick. <laughs> Where it is, Sting and WCW have reached a verbal agreement to extend his contract after it expires at the end of the year, though no word on what that terms are. Really good terms. Miscellaneous time now, we're off to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. The Legend Show set an all-time attendance record for the promotion, drawing 5,000 fans in Knoxville. It was sorely needed since Smoky Mountain has been having lots of problems lately with low attendance. Uh, most shows and talent leaving WWE have poached its two biggest draws recently, the Heavenly Bodies and Brian Lee. He then took a gamble on bringing Jake Roberts and that backfired and Roberts started to no-show events. And just this week, Chris Jericho of the Thrill Seekers broke his forearm while participating in a shooting star press in the ring before the show, but he still worked the show against Doctor's Orders. After the show, he had two steel rods and six screws put into his forearm and will be out for a while. And another risk, Smoky Mountain is taking involves the gangsters who are pushing the lines of what's accessible for TV. In an interview that hasn't aired yet, the gangsters said that they're glad Martin Luther King was dead. Too peaceful, I guess. They painted X's on the foreheads of their beaten opponents. One TV station aired a disclaimer before the show because the team of the team and they bleeped out lines about how they wanted to do a red Denny on a white boy. Smoky Mountain and a temper TV station is already threatening to cancel their show. At the Legend Slow guest announcer Jim Ross interviewed the team and they called the NAACP group of trained Negroes, whatever that means. Gangsters scare the hell out of me. Three days after the legend snow, Smoky Mountain angered fans with another event by not delivering on a stipulation after weeks of build-up that either Ricky Morton or Tammy Stitch would have their head shaved. Morton ended up being on the losing end and was supposed to lose his hair, but they tried to babyface their way out of it, but the crowd completely turned on them and started booing, which I would as well, to the point that Cornette was freaking out backstage, afraid that they would had killed the town. Smoky Mountain fans are apparently tired of bait and switch and approaching not delivering on pro prom promoted stipulations and it finally boiled over with the crowd booing the top baby face. Morton never did have his head shaved. Bit of Florida news, independent show in Florida featuring King Kong, Bundy, Jim Ross, Tito Santa and Greg Valentine. And others drawed 1,700 plus fans, which is about the same amount of WWF draw they had a few weeks earlier. Meanwhile, WCW cancelled the show there a while back because they only sold 60 tickets in advance. 
John Tenter, Earthquake, was pulled from an indie show in Canada because the WWF has him tied up in a bunch of legal red tape because they're trying to prevent him from going to WCW. Dave says this is the first he's heard of Airwave wanting to go to WCW, but it makes sense because he's good friends with Jimmy Hart and Hart seems to have a lot of pull in WCW right now, which he does. Sabu now has an official fan club. For $14.95 plus $2 shipping, you can get six bi-monthly newsletters, a Sabu biography and an autographed 8 by 10 of Cebu involving moon salts, five colour photos, a piece of table he's destroyed, and a membership specific, which I can't say. Send your money to Gabe. A guy named Daryl Van Horn, better known to us Sinister Minister James Mitchell, writes in about the controversy about the gangsters and Smoky Mountain, and basically says, yeah, it might be in bad taste, but hey, if it makes money, it's good for them. And with that, it's time for a commercial break. Hello, Tony. I think we might use a video replay here. Super Elf, let's do that. Oh, yes, we could be in for a quintessential tango taste sense. Oh, he's not meant to do that. That's right, Ralph. He's clapped eyes on a big orange fella and decided to leg it. <laughs> and who can blame him? I think I would do exactly the same myself. <laughs> hey, Ralph, he's looking at you now. You know where you've been tangoed. Who doesn't like a little bit of tango? Anyway, I'm going to call it an episode. It's over an hour. It's took a week and a half to do. I'm a week and a half late. And with that, I will see you next week with the last week of August of 1994. Oh, one more thing. I've got a Patreon account. So I want to get this little baby little microphone called iRig Micast to make my podcast sound better. The links are in the description. And if you continue to pledge, the money will go towards Figure 4 weekly newsletters so we can do a better job. And with that, I'll see you on the other side. And I want to say thank you to Diane for putting up with me. I know being a pain in the ass, and to my sponsor, Raven, for all the headbutts and sandpaper licks. And I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>